Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. We turn the volume back down on this because this is on. I don't if you can hear me, that's good. It's great seeing all you faces out here. Um, welcome all of our friends listening in online. I'm so glad that you could all join us today. Uh, we're just so incredibly bl uh, blessed to be celebrating the, the birth of, of Jesus today, Christmas 2017, in the Old Stone Church. Wow. And, you know, as we move into the uh, Christmas season, can you, um, Don, can you click it one more time for me? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, never mind. I might need you to because uh, th this isn't quite working. So, uh, you know, as we move into the Christmas season, uh, one of the things I do every year as I get closer to Christmas is I begin rereading the Christmas story um, in, in scripture, because uh, as we get closer to Christmas, you come to church and you, you expect the pastor, of course, to be talking about the Christmas story, which, of course, us pastors, that's what we do. Uh, you know, Christmas and Easter, you pretty much know the sermon before you get here, uh, which makes it a little hard on us because we're a little worried about Here we go again. Here we go again. Uh, so this year I started way in advance, uh, rereading the Christmas story, asking God to give me some fresh insight into it. Asking God to speak to me through the story that we know so well and that has so much to do and is so central uh, to our faith. There's a feeling, I think, sometimes that we could just gather all together at this time of year. I could just read you, you know, the, the scriptures, the Christmas story, because it's so absolutely so profound. Um, but um, this year I, I'm reading it and I'm struck by something that's true of me and I, I think it's true of all of you. And it certainly intersects with this incredible, incredible story. Isn't it amazing how we all, at different stages of our life, we can stand back and we really want things to, to fit. We really want to uh, have an insatiable desire of making sense out of life. Um, that the, In the details of our life, that some are up and some are down, uh, we want to find a purpose in it, right? We want to find a purpose in our life. We don't want anything to be just random. Uh, we want everything to make sense. We want to all fit together, every point, every dot connecting. Uh, together in that I can stand back uh, and look at my life and find purpose in it, find meaning from our life and in our life experiences. Um, if this tree can, can represent my life for just a minute, uh, that everything sort of fits on it. Um, all the points connect, dots connect, everything that happens to me, I know exactly sort of where it goes in my life. I can say, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Uh, this meaning in my life, purpose. And this isn't just a, a Christian thing. Uh, this isn't a religious thing. I think that we, we all have this, that we're, we're all born with this. We just want to make sense out of our life. Um, and we met because we were supposed to meet. Uh, then we got engaged, and, and then I got a cool promotion. Uh, then we had our first child. And every time life hands me an event, um, I know exactly where it goes. And I want to make sure that everything fits on it. Uh, in fact, this is so much of a part of human nature, not just in the United States, but all over the world, that, that every culture, every language, um, there's actual terminology that we use for this. I don't think uh, we really think about it too much. Can you click one more time, Don? I don't think we really think about it too much. Uh, in fact, you don't want to think about these phrases too much because they, they sort of begin to fall apart. But we use this terminology to reinforce this idea that everything has a purpose, everything has a reason, that there aren't really any random things that, that happen or in events in our life. 
that someday we'll be able to look back at our life and everything will fit together and make sense. For example, we say things, you know, like this, like everything happens for a reason. You ever say that? You ever hear someone say that? Uh, and me, my skeptical thinking, I'm, I'm like, I want to say, really? Everything? Everything happens for a reason. Uh, okay, because you don't want to start poking holes in this because I think it really starts to fall apart. But there's something in you and there's something in me and that wants to believe, well, even though I don't understand it right now, everything happens for a reason. Uh, you know, I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, you've said that or someone says, oh, oh, what a coincidence. Oh, I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. Uh, I just don't believe in them. Uh, you know, I think it's some sort of cosmic thing, God, force, karma. You know, I, I don't really know. But, but I don't think there are any coincidences. It, it, it's part of a, a bigger picture, right? Or what about you just haven't met the right person yet? What does that mean? It means someday, right? Someday. Well, wait, 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 wait. Based on what? I don't know. Don't ask me hard questions. So, someday, right? I, I guess it wasn't meant to be. What's that mean? Uh, well, uh, the reason it didn't work out, it's not your fault. It's not his fault. It, it's not her fault. It, it just wasn't meant to be. That somewhere out there, there's a meant to be here. And, and they put everything sort of together. And so the reason it didn't work out, it, it just wasn't meant to be. Because there's something in you and there is something in me that we want things to fit together. Now, that's true in the sort of negative things in life, and that's true in the sort of fun things in life, but when this really comes into play is when we hit the big bumps in our life. It's when life suddenly hands us an unexpected illness, uh, disease, or, or a family death. It, it's in our human nature to ask the question, why? Which is a little strange when you think about it. What do you mean, why? Right? Why? Well... Why do you think that happened? Why do you think God allowed that to happen to me? We want to know why. We've all had these moments when it feels like our, our whole world's falling apart. When we feel like we can't go on with things, right? There's something in you that wants to figure out where in the world do I hang this in my life? Where, where am I going to put it in my life? Divorce. I mean, nobody plans for divorce. See, I had plans to get engaged. I had plans to get married. I, I prayed for kids, but this wasn't in my plan. And why, God? Why, why is this happening to me? Where, where does it fit? Where does it go? I don't, I don't even know where to put this in my life. I don't even want this in my life. Or what about this one? All of a sudden, you lose a job, and you are the person who can never lose your job. And all of a sudden, you're just one of those tens of thousands of people without your job. And it's like, okay, God, this wasn't in the plan. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find a, a purpose in this. I'm trying to work through this. But right now, this just doesn't make any sense. And not only do I not know where to put this in my life, just get this out. What is this? And, and we're turning to something else, whether you believe in God or not, right? Who's doing this to me? You know, you don't look at somebody in pain, somebody's going through a difficult difficult time and go, oh, well, that's life. That's life. That's too bad. Stuff happens. You just don't do that because when you watch somebody you love or, or even someone that's at work and you know they're going through some difficult stuff, isn't it strange that regardless of what you believe, we want to help put people, put their lives together because it's in you and it's in me to want to find a purpose in every single circumstance of our life. 
Now, here's another interesting question. Why is that? What is that that's in you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? You can click it one more time for me. I think I'll be uh, all set after you do that. You got it? It's the arrow that goes that way. Or the space bar. One, two. There you go. Here's my dog, Hurley. He's a mutt we rescued eight years ago, you know. As cute as he is, I don't think he worries about this kind of stuff. He gets up in the morning, we feed him, he goes outside, he does his business, he comes back in, he goes lays on the bed and goes back to bed. I don't think he's up there laying going, I wonder how this nap connects to yesterday's nap that's going to connect tomorrow's nap. I wonder if one day I'll put all these naps together on my tree of life and all those naps are going to add up mysteriously and come together and it's going to be like, oh, now I know why I slept every day. You know, I just don't think my dog worries about that and I don't think your pets do either. But there's something in you, there's something in me that wants to make sense of it. Now, Christians, we have an answer for that. Christians believe that everybody, whether you are a Christian or not, or whether you believe in God or not, Christians believe that everybody was made in the image of God. And that God is a purposeful God. And that God is involved in history. So I'm just talking about actual events that happen in history. God is, uh, sees uh, things sequentially, and God brings order out of chaos, and God brings design into things that seem to have no design. And this thing that's in you, that wants to make sense out of everything in life, connect all the dots and make sure everything arranges all in the way that makes sense, that is a reflection of the image of God in you. You can't get away from it. In fact, this is so deep in you, for some of you, this is how you actually came to faith. Yeah, you were living your life, doing your own thing. You're trying to be uh, completely autonomous. All I need is me. All I need is my stuff. And you're working really, really hard just to be autonomous. You weren't attached to anything bigger, no bigger purpose in life, any other big plan. It was all about you. And then at some point in your life, it was like a pebble in your shoe that was nagging you. That nagging sense of, this isn't enough. There's got to be more. And this agonizing sense of purpose, it just began to cloud your fun and cloud your thrills and cloud your lifestyle and cloud everything that you were doing. And you would find yourself being successful or, or you find yourself in having plenty of relationships. And at the end of the day or at the end of the week, there was just, it was empty. Because it wasn't connected to anything. That's the image of God. That's the image of God that says there is purpose. There is a plan. And you don't always know what it is. And sometimes it doesn't fit together perfectly. Sometimes our trees are a little messy or a little tipped over. And other times, you know, you're going to know where everything fits. But that thing that's in you that longs to create that longs to connect the dots, that's the image of me and you because I am a God of purpose. I am a God of order and I am a God that connects things that you don't know how they connect. And I eventually bring about that thing that you know intuitively is true. That thing works out, things that will move forward, good things that will come from bad things, bad things that are redeemed and good things that result. 
Now, all of that collides with the Christmas story because the Christmas story, in some ways, is the perfect, it's the best example of God dipping down into the seemingly randomness of life, the chaos of life, the insignificance, the meaningless life, God dipping down and reminding the world that there is a plan, that there is a purpose, that there is a design, that history goes forward, that God is God of, uh, God of history, and that the Christmas story is the picture of God intervening, coming down, taking on flesh, and mixing it up and being involved with the affairs of mankind and doing it in such a way that it becomes absolutely unmissable that there is a God who understands, that there is a God who knows that we're here, that there is a God who cares about us. So what I want to do today is I want to read a portion of the Christmas story, and I want us to come back to this whole idea and talk about how this is going to connect to each of our lives. I'm going to read from the the book of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 1 is where you'll find the Christmas story according to Luke. And if you have a Bible, you can follow along here, or you can follow along on our screens. Um, If you're not a Bible person or a church person, uh, let me clear something up for you. Did this not want to stay there? So you might have to click for me. This this won't work. Um, So if you're not a Bible or church person, let me clear something up for you. When you were maybe at college, if you went to college, or at some point you might have had a professor, or maybe if you didn't go to college, um, you had a friend who told you, who basically just discounted the whole Bible. They said, well, it's a myth. It's literature. It's written by people. Um, Duh. Isn't everything you read written by a man or a woman, right? Uh, So it can't be trusted. And and they kind of kick the legs out from underneath your faith when it comes to the Bible. I just want you to know that your English professor or or your friend of yours is probably sitting at church today somewhere feeling bad about the fact that they misled you. (laughs) Yeah, something happened in their life and you're stuck with this idea still about the Bible that someone told you in college or whatever, and that, and that person that told you doesn't even believe in that anymore. But you've never moved beyond the whole idea of the Bible. So quickly, the Bible is not a book, right? The, the Bible is not even a, a collection of books. The Bible is simply a, c- a collection of ancient manuscripts. And they were put together in a book or in a binder so that they were convenient. So you could then carry it. You could pick it up, read it, and make it portable. One of those ancient manuscripts was written in the first century by a man named Luke. And Luke, history tells us, was a physician, a doctor, and a a disciple of the Apostle Paul. And Luke, he decided he needed to put together an orderly account of the life of Jesus so that the people who were coming along behind him, that generation would be able to understand what happened. Now, I want to read the the first few verses of of the first chapter of Luke, and then we're going to skip down to verse 26 where the Christmas story begins. But for those of you who aren't really Bible people, they're kind of skeptical. You haven't picked up a Bible since maybe you were a child, maybe you never have. You sort of have this picture of why the Bible isn't worth reading, and it's based on something someone else told someone else. I want you to listen to how this ancient first century document begins and see if this sounds like a fairy tale to you. Here's how it begins in verse 1. So I'm going to just kind of go like that when I need you to change it, please. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many. Not just me, many. 
have sat down and tried to put together an account of the events that happened right here among us. Luke, you mean like among you? Like you were there? Yeah, this happened in my lifetime. Oh. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So what you're saying, Luke, is the stuff you're about to write down, you got this from the people who saw it happen. Yeah. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, so that you may know the certainty, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now, that doesn't sound like once upon a time in the city of Bethlehem, does it? That doesn't sound like long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That doesn't sound like abandon your brain, uh, leave it over there at the door when you come in, try to use your imagination. This doesn't even sound like religious talk. Here's a guy who says, I've investigated it. I've talked to eyewitnesses. I want to make sure somebody writes this down in an orderly account so that future generations know what happened here in our midst. Wow. I bet you didn't even know that was in the Bible, did you? You should read your Bible. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So here's Luke now. He says, I've investigated all this. I've looked into this carefully. And here is what I discovered. In the sixth month, see, see the detail on this? This isn't once upon a time. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was, was one of Mary, was of Mary, mother of Jesus' relatives. In the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And then this next phrase, imagine everything that hung on this next phrase as Luke is writing this down. The virgin's name was Mary. He had no idea. He had no idea what would happen in the future as a result of him telling this story. Cathedrals would be built. Wars would be fought. Buildings all over the world would be built. Missionaries would be sent. Books would be written. written. People would give their life in order to get this story out of the first century. People would give their lives in order to get this story translated into a language that the common man could read and could understand. And Luke in the first century is going, well, I don't know about all that. I just want to make sure the next generation knows what has happened here in history on the ground among us. The virgin's name is Mary. We don't know anything about Mary. Mary's probably a teenage girl. Her life looked like this. Her life is pretty much planned out. She's going to get married. She's going to marry a guy that actually she probably has never even met before. His name would be Joseph. They would live wherever their parents told them to live. She would meet him maybe on her wedding day. This would be Joseph. Joseph, this is Mary. You guys, we don't know if you're going to love each other or not, but you're going to. It'll work out. You'll get married. You're going to have kids, and you're going to give your parents some grandkids. And if you live long enough, which you probably won't, you might even get to meet your own grandchildren, and then you'll die. 
And no one will ever know your name because you grew up in this little dusty place in the middle of nowhere during a time where nobody really cared about what was happening in Israel. And you would be just another nameless person who came and went and was thrown into the dustbin of history. So what? It's over. That was Mary. Just another random thing in a random life, a random series of events, random children that would grow up. Some of them will survive. Possibly many of them wouldn't. But God, in this period of history, had decided to touch down to remind you and to remind me, thanks to Luke, that God is a God who is involved. And that whatever might seem random to us is purposeful in the mind of God. And that's why you seek purpose in your life. Verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. We're going to come back to that. Highlight it, circle it, whatever you do. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. In other words, are you a good witch or a bad witch? She has no idea. I've never seen an angel before. The Lord is with me. Are you the Lord? I mean, imagine how overwhelming this was for her. And he says, no, 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 no. This is good news. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Why? Because she was scared to death. Mary, you have found favor with God. There's that word again. You have found favor with God. 31. You will conceive. Now look at how certain all of this is in the midst of all this chaos and this randomness around her. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Mary, are you writing this down? He will be great and will be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And I'm telling you, if she had the presence of mind to think about it, this word right here would have thrown her off. Whoa, 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 wait. His kingdom will never end. Angel, I don't know if you're paying attention. Do you realize that the nation of Israel hasn't had an independent kingdom for over 500 years? And you're telling me this son of mine is going to have a kingdom that never, ever ends? Who would believe that? Who could believe that? I'm just a teenage girl. I'm going to have a son who will grow up and have some kids and I'll die and then he'll die. And no one will ever know that we existed. But she wasn't worried about the kingdom word. She was worried about something else. Verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Mary asked the question that any teenage girl would ask when she was told that you're going to have a baby while remaining a virgin. And so very delicately, I suppose, the angel says, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born, this is awesome, first century, Luke's writing this down as he's interviewing the eyewitnesses. So the Holy One will be born, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, let me just do a quick survey. Before you came in here today, before you just heard me read this, how many of you have heard the phrase Son of God associated with the name of Jesus? Wow, that's exactly what he said was going to happen. 2,000 years later, when you hear Jesus, Son of God, that doesn't surprise you. Do you know how surprising, do you know how blasphemous that must have sounded to Mary? Mary, teenage girl, you're going to have a son, and here's his reputation is going to be son of God. And it happened. And here we are, halfway around the world, and that doesn't surprise any of you. Verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to, there's that certainty again, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. Look at this. For no word from God will ever fail. Now, here's what we can't really get our arms around in the story. There are about 400, a little more than that, 400 years since the Jews had heard from God. Theologians call this the 400 years of silence. There's 400 years between the, the end of the Old Testament and, and when Jesus shows up. 400 years of silence. Now, there wasn't silence in the world during this time because during those 400 years, some amazing things had happened. The Babylonian Empire had risen up and everybody said, Babylon is forever. But it wasn't. Because then the Persian Empire rose up and everybody thought, well, the Persian Empire is forever. And they lasted almost four hundred years. In other words, people were born and died and born and died during this period. And when they died, they thought, well, Persia is forever. But they weren't. Because Alexander the Great came along and it was the Greeks' time to rule. And everybody thought, well, Greece is forever. Look at what Alexander the Great had accomplished in his short lifetime. But then his world, his empire was split up. And eventually Rome came along. And when Mary was living and in the midst of her life, everyone thought, Rome is forever. And the silly angel said, no, your son is going to have a kingdom, and his kingdom will last forever and ever and ever. And everyone in the world thought, no, 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 Rome is forever and ever and ever, just like we thought Greece was forever and ever and ever, just like we thought the Persians were forever and ever, just like we thought the Babylonians were forever and ever and ever, ever. And it's like God showed up in history and said, no, don't you understand? This isn't about the plans of man. This is about the will of God. And this will transpire. And every one of those kingdoms and every one of those empires came and went by my declaration, says the Lord. And while you look at the details and while we look at the history, you may see my hand, but understand life is not random. You might not see where he's going. But that I am a God of purpose and everything happens according to my will. But then Mary's life gets back to normal. 
In fact, Mary's life goes back to subnormal because the angel went away. And from what we're told, from what Luke could discover, and I bet Luke interviewed Mary because John was taking care of Mary at this time. And according to Mary and according to all the historical records, the angel Gabriel never showed up again to Mary. But I bet she wished he had. Because all of a sudden her life got very, very complicated. She was a pregnant teenage girl with no explanation as to why she was pregnant. And I guarantee you there were days, and for those of you who are Catholic, I don't mean to be disrespectful of Mary, but let's just use our imagination for a minute here, okay? I'm sure there were days when Mary's like, Angel! Angel! You gotta come down here and explain this to my mama and my math teacher because they're looking at me funny. And when I'm not about to tell them that an angel appeared to me, I need an explanation. And then eventually she met Joseph, and fortunately Joseph had a little heads up to this whole thing. And then talk about bad timing. Caesar Augustus decrees that everybody's got to go home and register for a census. And Joseph says to Mary, I got bad news, and I got some really bad news. The bad news is you have to go with me to Bethlehem. And the really bad news is the best way to get there is you're going to have to ride a donkey, and I realize that you're pregnant. And now Miss Favorite of God, remember Miss Favorite of God? Miss favorite of God, the angel said it twice, your favorite of God, that, that you're special, God knows your name. Miss favorite of God is going to take a donkey ride 120 miles while she's pregnant. And it takes them so long to get there. You know sto- the story. It takes them so long to get there, but the time they get there, remember this part of the story, there's no room in the what? There's no room in the inn. Hey, angel, angel, you didn't tell me about this part, okay? Miss favorite of God would like an out. I'd like to find a room in the inn. You should have reserved a room, okay? I mean, the least you could do, remember? Son of God. Kingdom's going to reign forever. I'm about to birth this special baby. And I get there and you're telling me not only do I have to make this trip, but there's not even room for me in the inn? And her story continues to deteriorate. And you could show up at any point and say, why would God allow that to happen? Why would God allow this to happen? Why on earth would God allow this to happen to me? Miss favored of God. And then she gets a heads up that Herod finds out a king has been born. And Herod is angry. Herod is jealous. And Herod wants his name to be forever and ever and ever. And we come to this tragic part of the Christmas story that we can't pause and think about for too very long. Because it's so unsettling, it has the ability to overpower all the romance that we associate with Christmas. Because early one morning, as people were waking up with their children and getting ready for another day, Herod's soldiers showed up at the end of town. And they went through the city where they believed Jesus lived. And they slaughtered every single, probably, child two years and under. Oh yeah, their assignment was to make sure that they slaughtered the males, but Roman soldiers were thorough. And they would rather go back and report to Herod that, yes, we killed a few little girls by an accident as well, than to go back and say, I think we missed a few little boys. And by the end of the day, every single parent with a child, two years old and under, had their babies ripped out of their hands and slaughtered in a random, senseless, purposeless expression of jealousy. And for the rest of her life, Mary lived knowing that where God had warned me and saved my baby... God did nothing to rescue the other little children from that little town. 
What's the purpose in that? What's the point of that? I mean, God, if you had the presence of mind to warn me, couldn't you have sent the angel Gabriel to just go and kill Herod? Wouldn't there have been a ways around this? And so they fled. They went 200 miles, so they finally got to Egypt, and they spent some time in Egypt. And again, you look at any of these details, and you go, why? What is the purpose? How does this fit? How does this make any sense? And then years would go by, and Mary would experience the most unimaginable pain and sorrow that any mother could ever experience as she stood outside the courtyard and heard her first born son beat to within an inch of his life. And she saw the gore, and she smelled the gore, and she saw her son with a crown of thrones dragged out into the street, forced to carry his own cross, to die the most unimaginable death, the most humiliating death possible. The Romans had perfected the art of the crucifixion to make sure that criminal lived as long as they could possibly live, to be an example as long as they possibly could before they would breathe there last breath. And this mother watched her son die. And yeah, 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 we romanticize it. And yeah, 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 we know it all worked out. But she stood there and watched it. Miss highly favored of God. Miss, the Lord is with you. Miss, his kingdom shall reign He will reign forever and ever and ever. His kingdom shall never come to an end. And in those moments, it was just another random act of Roman violence with no good end in sight. And yet, had God lost control? No. This was the very epicenter of God's activity. The very moment when it looked like everything was lost and God had lost control was at the crosshairs of God's greatest involvement in the world as he sent his son into the world to pay for the sins of all mankind. That thing in you that wants order, that thing in you that wants purpose, that thing in you that wants everything to work out for good to somehow make sense, that is the thumbprint of God and on Christmas we are reminded that when it seems random, when it seems like it's random, even when it seems like it's it's purposeless, even when it seems like there is no good in it, even when it seems that this is an unredeemable illness, an unredeemable death, this is an unredeemable job loss. This is an unredeemable situation in my marriage. There's nothing good that can come from this. There is no way this is a part of some overarching plan at Christmas. We're reminded God with us. And that thing in you, that, that thumbprint of God that's in you, that wants it to fit together, is confirmed at Christmas. As God sent his son into this world, this, this random world, this seemingly purposeless world to do an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. 
Years later, about 25 years later, the Apostle Paul, with the advantage of hindsight, would look back at this in the life of Jesus and the resurrection and the time with Peter and all the disciples, and, and he would write letters. And in one of the letters, a letter to the Christians in Ephesus, here's what he wrote. He said this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In him, in Jesus, this is sort of the technical way of saying what we just talked about. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything. Do you know what everything means? Everything. Who works out everything in conformity with the purpose. That's that word again. See, this is what we long for. This is the order that we long for. This is what I want to make sense of that I long for according to the conformity with the purpose of his will. Mary didn't say it exactly like that. That is so technical. When the angel Gabriel finished with Mary, when the angel Gabriel finished telling Mary, this is what's going to happen. This is what you have to look forward to. Of course, she didn't know any of the details. She didn't know about the donkey ride. She didn't know about uh, Herod. She didn't know about the slaughter. She didn't know that one day that she would have to watch her son be taken away from her and crucified. And she didn't know that one day that he would rise from the dead. And she didn't know that 2,000 years later that we would gather in her son's name once a week in many cases, many more times than that. And that one-third of the world's population would know his name. And when they heard her son's name, they would think, son of God. She didn't know any of that. So at the end of her conversation with the angel, she said what I hope you can say and I can say. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. You know, what the big takeaway for me from this is, and I don't know what you've been told about faith or, or how faith has been defined by you. Maybe you grew up in um, a church or, or you've been taught that faith is, is what moves God. Faith is, is what actually moves God. But I'm convinced of this, that perfect faith isn't the faith that moves God. Perfect faith, this, this is perfect faith. Perfect faith is the faith that moves us to trust God when it doesn't seem like he's moving. Perfect faith is the faith that moves us to trust God when it doesn't seem like he's moving. Perfect faith is the faith that says, yeah, we met just as I planned. We got engaged just as I planned. We got married just as I planned. And yep, the birth of our child just as we planned. But then life handed me a divorce. Then life handed me a job loss. Then life handed me things that I didn't plan. And my desire isn't to move God back into my life. My plan and my faith is designed to help me to trust God in spite of the fact that life isn't moving according to my plan. Perfect faith is what Mary says. Perfect faith says, I am your servant. May it be to me according to your word. I am your servant. May it be to me according to your word. Here's the good news. Regardless uh, of what... Uh, 
whatever life has handed you and, and regardless of, of what you're experiencing, the thing that's in you that wants to find purpose, that's a good thing. That thing that's in you, it, it can't be random. There, there has to be more. That's a good thing. That, that's the thumbprint of God. It is a reminder that God is active in this world. He has a plan for your life. And as the Apostle Paul said, everything, everything, everything is ultimately in accordance and in conformity with his purpose in this world. So in light of all that, here's how I'd like for us to close out today. For some of you, you would say within the past two or three weeks, as I've approached the Christmas season, I've been handed something I wasn't expecting. For some of you, it might be a job loss. For some of you, all of a sudden, there's tension that's in your marriage and you didn't see it coming. For some of you, you got bad news about your health, the health of a child, the health of a parent, the health of someone you love. Maybe everyone around you has been filled with all this joy and you just can't snap out of that depression that's not getting any better. Maybe you or someone you know is battling alcohol or, or drug addiction and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And for some of you, it's been what we just talked about all day today. You've been walking through life without purpose and you've had this longing, this longing desire to be connected to something that's bigger than yourself. Whatever it is, if it's tugging at your heart today, I want to offer you what Christ offers to all of his children. <clears throat> Christ's invitation. And what's that? It's simple. The Bible tells us that Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. Yet he came as a sacrificial lamb. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God came to the earth and became flesh. And Christmas is the day that we celebrate his birth. Ultimately, as a Christian, it is though through his death and his resurrection that allows us the saving grace. You can click it one more time. He will uh, fill that hole with his love. He will align your life with his purpose through truth. He will heal your broken heart with his presence. And he will wash away your sins with his grace. If you need prayers or, or want to accept Christ today, please come forward. We're going to be singing one last song. Um, I would love to pray for you. Um, so if you could please stand as we sing the song of invitation. God bless you all. Merry Christmas. Great sermon. That was your best. <laughs> Personal best. All right. Uh, today, the invitation song, it's uh, with uh, great pleasure that I introduce Mary Did You Know, performed by Reba McIntyre, Vince Gill, and Amy Grant. <laughs> 